I'm Emma Gaysford, and this is a news update from the University of Portsmouth. International scientists from around the world are warning that chemical pollutants in the environment have the potential to alter animal and human behaviour. It makes sense to see whether those chemicals that we know were specifically designed to affect behaviour could also affect the behaviour of wildlife as well. I'm talking to Professor Alex Ford from the University of Portsmouth to find out more. I'm a professor of biology and my expertise is in environmental toxicology with a particular interest in uh, marine biology and parasitology as well. You've recently written a paper and it raises a lot of concerns over how chemical pollutants are altering the behaviour of wildlife and even possibly humans. Can you explain why no one has, has looked at this really very much before? Well, I think in in environmental toxicology, we are constantly improving the way that we assess chemicals in the environment. Um, so things have taken great leaps, but still there's more that could be done in the way that we assess new chemicals that are coming on the market, whether they're safe for not only humans, but for wildlife as well, but also backtracking and going over some older chemicals, which may not have gone through the same level of scrutiny when they're assessed to see whether they're safe. So going back many decades, the tests that were done to see whether a chemical was safe were, were quite simple. But over time, when we realised that chemicals might be carcinogenic, teratogenic, or maybe uh, interfere with our endocrine systems in some way because they act like hormones, we've had to improve the tests that we do. And this is just another iteration in the if you like, because we're now starting to realise that some of the chemicals that we find in the environment can alter the behaviour of wildlife and possibly us as humans as well. Gosh, that's fascinating. And what kind of behavioural changes are we talking about? Well, if you think the behaviour for an organism to survive may evolve around not getting eaten, so reacting to a stimuli so it can escape being eaten, Behaviour around reproduction, if you're uh, a wildlife and you're trying to attract a mate, the behaviours that you give off are directly related to your success. Or it may be around feeding. So behaviour can stretch to any facet as well as learning. Now, there are some concerns that some pollutants in the environment might affect the IQ and the ability to learn in some children. Um, so there have been some studies that have looked at the prenatal exposure of the mother um, to various different pollutants and versus the um, the capacity to learn and the IQ of children and that has been done for metals and pesticides and, and some uh, chemicals that you might find in plastics. So we're interested is the same things going on in wildlife? Is there a fish downstream of somewhere that might be polluted? Uh, could its ability to learn and adapt to its environment respond to predators? Are they being affected in some way by their by the pollution that they're swimming around in. Historically, environment agencies and, and governments have, have looked at testing for certain things, haven't they? But they just haven't looked at behaviour up until now. Yeah, typically, most chemicals would go through testing in, to see what, what concentrations might cause mortality, acute toxicity, uh, what chemicals might affect the growth of an organism and what chemicals might affect their reproduction. Nothing particularly goes through a test to see whether it affects the behaviour of an organism. And we know that there are certain chemicals that we take, for instance, like antidepressants, which were designed to alter behaviour. And we can detect these in the environment 
So it, it makes sense to see whether those chemicals that we know were specifically designed to affect behavior could also affect the behavior of wildlife as well. And there could be un, unknown chemicals out there which affect behavior of organisms in, in ways that we just don't know. When we realized that some chemicals could be estrogenic and feminize fish, what we didn't know until we opened that can of worms was that there were a vast array of chemicals that could be estrogenic and some of them have no structural similarity to estrogen itself. So you could have things in oils, in surfactants, in plastics and things that just act and bind to estrogen receptors on a cell and act just like estrogen. That's really interesting. How much of a problem do you think it is? Because we're not testing for it, we don't know to what extent is it a problem. And we don't know what the consequences of those changes in behaviour are. It's uh, it's very tricky to measure behaviour. It's, it's very um, variable in time and between species and uh, within species as well. New computational advances have enabled us to, to measure it in a more accurate way. But what we still don't get a handle on is what might be the effects in the environment. Because obviously we do these experiments in the lab, but how do we extrapolate that to the field? It was a lot easier to determine whether a fish was being feminized by pollutants because you can cage a, a fish downstream of a sewage treatment plant. It's a lot more tricky to determine whether a fish's behavior is being changed because sometimes the process of monitoring it changes its behavior as well. You've brought together 30 of the world's leading experts in this field. What are you recommending and to whom? Yeah, this, this paper was a uh, result of a collaboration between people that come from different different fields. So we had environmental toxicologists that, who had expertise in, in behaviour. We had people that work in, in risk assessment and we had people that work in the regulatory industry. So representing kind of environment agencies around the world. And they have all very important parts to play in this jigsaw because some of them set the regulations by which others have to abide by and others then go forward and do the risk assessment based on those regulations that have been set to make the judgments on whether chemicals may have an adverse effect on the environment. And uh, we all very much speak similar, but sometimes very different languages. <laughs> so we all needed to understand where we're all coming from and get the different perspectives from the different stakeholders in, in this equation. We got everybody together in a workshop so we could form some consensus and then develop a roadmap for the way forward. And that's what we've done in this, this published article. So if this problem is not addressed, what's the future hold? I guess if we don't go forward with this, we, we're still potentially putting chemicals out into the environment, which may have adverse effects on not only our own development and behaviour and cognitive ability, but also those of wildlife. So one thing is we want to safeguard the environment for ourselves and wildlife. But also we want to get a better understanding of those chemicals that are already in the environment, what effects they might be having, and the ramifications of those effects up to the population and ecosystem level. A paper set out some recommendations. Some of those we need to improve the understanding of how chemicals affect behaviour, what are the mechanisms by which they're doing it. And we need to develop and adapt our existing protocols to incorporate behaviour. So when uh, somebody develops a, a new test method, method in toxicology, it can take up to 10 years to get approval. But there are some quick methods because there are tests that have already been approved and standardised, which could be adapted to incorporate behaviour. 
In other instances, we may just have to come up with entirely new tests, which bring in behavior as an endpoint or something that we measure at the end of the experiment. We need to improve that the way we do our tests because some scientists don't include all the information in our publications, which enable those that do the risk assessment to actually fully incorporate that science. And sometimes some science is just thrown away because scientists don't include all the information. So as scientists, we need to improve the way that we report our science. And the other thing that we need to do as wildlife toxicologists is integrate what we do more with human toxicologists. Human toxicology and wildlife toxicology can sometimes work in silos. And it's when those two groups of people come together, the ones which are focused on protecting human health and those that are concentrating on affecting environmental health, that we get, we've seen the, the, the biggest wins and the biggest gains. And this was shown in, in these chemicals that can affect reproduction and um, more recently effects on human fertility and, and wildlife fertility. If we, we, if we get the, the scientists working on, on human behaviour together with those that are working on wildlife behaviour and toxicology, we, we may get some good wins there. Sounds like a, a big collaborative effort is needed on all sides. Most certainly. Professor Alex Ford, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more, please visit our website, www.port.ac.uk.